HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. This is the 157th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the chef-owner of an outstanding raw vegan and juicing company based in Cleveland, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game. And for industry news today, I will be speaking with Esquire Magazine's food and drinks editor, Jeff Gordonier, about Esquire's best new restaurants in America. Their list just came out today, which is super exciting. I saw it. The list is out. It's outstanding. So we'll talk to Jeff. And uh, then, as always, I will close the show with my solo dining experience and the final question. So as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to use social media as a multi-purpose tool. Yes, there's more you can do on social than just post content, such as you can forge relationships through various platforms simply by engaging with those who you want to connect with. Beyond gramming your latest meal, take the time to like and comment on other people's posts. You can build a rapport with journalists, potential clients, and even celebrities simply by being active. However, remember that what you post is public, so be careful with what you want the world to see. There is always the private messaging option, which is great for a more personalized dialogue. So let social media work for you in more ways than one. That's my tip today. 
Now, I am excited to have my guest on the show today. It is Anna Haroviz. She is the owner of Good To Go Cafe and Anna in the Raw, a 100% organic line of pressed juices and raw vegan food company based in Cleveland, Ohio. Anna's focus on raw ingredients coupled with a true organic, clean style of cooking takes her customers through a culinary journey. Her clients include some of the highest performing athletes like the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Indians, and even the New York Yankees. So hello, welcome Anna to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited and honored to be speaking with you today. I am excited to be speaking with you too. I mean, you know, thinking back, we met at at the Roots Conference at the Chef's yeah. Garden a couple of years ago, and um, I've just been following you basically on social media. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. It's like um, people always think it's the biggest deal if you cook for LeBron, you, you do these things, and I'm like, oh my god, I've been following her forever, and I'm like so tickled and honored that I'm on your radar and that you thought of me, and I just can't thank you enough. It is uh, a goal of mine achieved, so thank you. Ah, oh, well, you're very welcome. That makes me <laughs> feel good, really good. So I always start out with my guests and find out a little bit about their background and how they got into the industry. So so let's let's start there. Like, did you always want to be a chef? Like, how did, how did, how did the, sh- the chef thing come about? Well, I'm first-generation Greek, so pretty much you are forced to start cooking and cleaning right out of the womb. It is Alrighty. something that was probably in my mind forever. My yaya, who is my grandmother, had a kitchen in the basement and upstairs. So everything is around food. And I think I was raised to believe that that is a way I can express love. Um, food was more than just nourishment. It was a way to connect to people. If you're sad, like, Greeks want to feed you. If you're happy, they want to feed you. We always have a tradition of leaving an empty plate at every dinner so that if somebody comes by, there's always room at the table to have them come. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I, I did try my hand in New York. I was going to theater school at American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I remember there was a teacher that said, it has to be the only thing you want to do because less than 8% will make it. And if it's not, then you have to follow that goal and that passion. And that's when I realized that mine was food. Um, it just, it was a way I could relate to people. It was always the way that I would have the big dinner parties at my house and the wine nights. And it was just, um, basically, it's my passion. I'm very blessed that every day I don't say, oh, I have to go to work. I say, oh, I get to go to work. So I'm very lucky that I, I realized that at a younger age and could continue doing it. Yeah, so where where did you gain some restaurant experience uh, before you opened Good To Go Cafe? And and when did that open exactly? Actually, my first cafe was Good To Go um, with the Good To Go one is in 2001. And that was the first one that was organic and local. And I still haven't had a menu. It's um, whatever I can get fresh. It's like a chalkboard menu. It's what I have, which, you know, aggravates a lot of people in today's society because they want to know ahead of time. But they've actually become very used to it, and that's an IMG World Headquarters downtown Cleveland, which turned out to be sports agents. So it was it was a great learning experience, and I've been there. I just celebrated my sweet 16 there. But wow, started, that's awesome. Uh, no, that's incredible. For, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I started uh, at a Greek restaurant, and it was a Greek chef that never had training, and I learned a lot from him. And honestly... Though I have taught the first culinary raw classes at Tri-C and Wooster and some other places, I did not graduate. It's something I probably would go back and do, 
but I stodged at a lot of places. Uh, probably my favorite place that I, I spent a day in the kitchen with Curtis Duffy, and that was, you know, mm. as one would think at Grace, unbelievable. And I learned more from that experience and how I could relate it to cold-pressed juices. I mean, you can always learn. So any holiday I have, any vacation, I will always stodge somewhere because you'll learn anything. Just by osmosis even, you'll throw yourself in a different culinary field and you'll learn something you can take home for your cuisine. Absolutely. So did you work at any places that were doing raw foods or, or vegan foods? And, and what interested you in, in that style of cooking? Well, it, actually, my father passed away. He was my best friend about 20 years ago. And we come from Icaria, which is the blue zone. And it's an island that people say they forget to die. But then I noticed all my relatives and everybody that came over, we would pass away very young. Sometimes my dad was 66. So it was something I started looking at, and I had health issues. And I remember going to New York, and I went to Pure Food and Wine. And I saw this, and I was like, you know what? This is what I want to try doing. And everybody said I was crazy. And uh, I probably was at the time. People didn't understand what it was. I had my little champion juicer, and I just started doing it then, and I stuck with it. Uh, and lucky for me, other people started taking notice, but I found that it, I got off all my medication. I found that I started feeling a lot better. I never was in a bad mood. Uh, you know, you drop weight when you're eating healthier. Right. And it just it seemed to be something that I really wanted to share with other people. I always said that the only legacy from not having children being Greek, which is the biggest taboo, is to extend the lives of other people's parents so that they could be around their loved ones more, or any loved one. If I could extend people's lives, I think that's probably the best legacy I could ever leave for my father in his name. Yeah, no, that's that's a wonderful story. I did not know that was what inspired you. Well, I don't share it a lot because I get teary-eyed. Yeah. But it is, uh, that is the basis of what gets me out of bed every morning. Oh, well, thank you for sharing it with me thank and with you. us. What? Um, so when did Anna in the Raw launch? And that, that was a separate... Uh, I don't know, entity or division from what you were already doing at uh, Good to Go? Absolutely. Probably about seven years ago, I started to say, well, you know, the juicing started becoming so big and it's so time consuming that I thought it would be fun. You know, you're starting to think of all these names. And I was like, well, you know, people knew me as a chef locally, as Chef Anna. So I was like, well, Anna on the Raw, this is my raw version. It's a great and name. It, it, it actually became a bigger name. More people know Anna on the Raw than they know Good to Go. Uh, so it's, 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 it's great. It's humbling. But I'm really blessed that, you know, people have recognized anything. Yeah. So with Anna on the Raw, it's it's 100% organic line of pressed juices. That's that's what you offer. Pressed in, juices in, and okay. food and raw. Yeah, raw food and um, snacks. Like we do the kale chips. We do macaroons. We do. I do a lot of meal planning for a lot of the athletes. Um, and for a lot of celebrity clients, Travis Barker was in town, and his people called me and said, uh, we heard you're the person to call when you're in Cleveland. And I was like, this is incredible. So I get to work with a lot of musicians, um, did juices for some of the Deftones, Cheap Trick. It's just been a, it's a crazy ride. Yeah, no, you're, you're the people you just name drop. I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, I want to, uh, we're going to take a little break, and then I want to come back and talk more about how you are working with all these High, sure. high performance athletes and because and, it's really cool. <laughs> um, so stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high quality producer. 
Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anna Horovitz. She is the owner of Good to Go Cafe and Anna in the Raw. So, Anna, tell me, how did you get connected with all these major athletes and start becoming their juicer? <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny. I'd like to say everybody's like, it's a brilliant. It was so calculated. I had no idea who IMG was. I was like, is it like Jerry Maguire? And they were like, something like that. But I think being there, and then I had uh, LeBron James, LRMR, his agency moved into our building. So I started working with their group, and uh, he would come in for lunch and try everything. And then I think the first team that picked me up is my friend. They said the Cavs are looking for a juice, Cleveland Cavaliers. And I sent out samples, and I started working with them. I believe this is his sixth year. And they started, you know, once those players like it and it's consistent, and it's a huge honor because they just trust you implicitly, and it's being a raw, non-pasteurized juice, it's a huge honor. I take it very serious. And I got the best equipment, and then once they started to use me, other teams started to come around. And the Cleveland uh, Indians, it's been about four or five years. Mr. Dolan himself personally comes into the cafe, wonderful man and started working with the other teams. And this year I just got the Washington Redskins and then I, uh, the Yankees, which is huge, right? It's, it's huge. No, you told it's me, you, you know, you know, you're busy. I've got to make some juice for the Yankees. I'm like, okay, go to work. Yeah. After game five, they texted me. I got a text at 4.30 in the morning and I was overnighting juices to Houston. And then uh, the other day I overnighted 200 pounds of juice to New York and I love New York. There's always a soft spot in my heart from living there. And I have so many friends there that it's just, I get to pinch myself every day. It's just amazing. Yeah. So do you make different juices for different teams? Do they have their own, their own juice or is it just, just a variety of what you, the offerings that you, that you, that you make? Well, it's really incredible. Every team is different. But a lot of them will ask me what they want and what they need. And then a lot of them will sit down with the nutritionists and the trainers. I won't ever share a juice. Once somebody gives me one, even if somebody's traveling, uh, Tampa Ray use me or another team will use me. I always keep theirs very confidential because it is their competitive edge. Anything that they do, anything they eat or drink is something that helps them perform better. But it's, you know, to me, it's like you have a high-performance car. You're not going to put the cheapest gas in it. And we have to really view our bodies that way, that you would put the best fuel you could in some of the best athletes, and they're just going to perform better, longer, less injuries. So it's, it's a matter of my flavors, being the chef, and then also working with what they need if they have a problem with hydration. But each team is different. Football is completely different from baseball, and baseball is completely different from basketball. So there isn't just one for everyone that I do. Yeah, no, that's I'm fascinated. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense. And I, I, you know, I was, I think about around the time I had reached out about the show was I had seen, you know, the Cleveland Indians, they were on their 22 game winning streak. And, and, you know, I started thinking like, well, the juice behind it, you know, what's, what's Anna giving them that gives them this, this, you know, 
momentum or, or I don't know, this performance level. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do think that a lot of people, let alone an athlete, not most of them are going to sit down and each bottle six pounds of organic produce. Now, of course, it'd be always great if people just ate that way all the time, but fast-paced and the way we travel, especially these teams, baseball they're and basketball, they're playing a different city every day almost. So it, any edge they have is just it's invaluable to them. And they said a lot of times they have to hide the juice because it, some of the guys are taking six or seven juices with them. And uh, that's kind of, you know, the best compliment, right, when they really like it and they have to start, like, yeah. to their players put their name on it don't take my juice right. <laughs> <laughs> how many so how how big is your team like how do you manage all of this it's, you know right now we're growing so fast and i'm looking at going to the east coast i'd love to get to new york either brooklyn or the bronx or find a location there to take care of the east coast we are looking into that um you know Right now, I do a lot of it hands-on. I always uh, take it seriously, so I'm always working, and I only have a few people working for me right now. Uh, as we grow, we definitely need more people. But for a lot of the teams, especially a lot of the athletes, they prefer me to be doing their food or to deliver it for you know reasons of non-disclosures mm-hmm. and everything else. They they just they tend to trust you a lot. The only bad thing about naming a product after you, they want Anna. So <laughs> if, if it's Anna on the raw, they don't want Katie in the raw. They don't want any of these other people. They want to see Anna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right. So I, I have two questions um, for, for you from my show last week. I had on episode 156, Patrick Janelle and Amy Virginia Buchanan, and they're the co-founders of Spring Street Social Society. So I asked them each to ask you a question. So Patrick's uh, question is, what's your guilty pleasure cheat food? Oh, I'm, I, I'm in love with the potato. That would be my kryptonite. Like, I, if I could <laughs> find a good, fresh-made French fry, oh, like, it's just, that is heaven to me. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's just such a simple food. But when it's prepared properly, it's just amazing. All right. I hear you. That's, that's, that's good to know. How about uh, Amy's question? What's your favorite late night Cleveland hotspot? Oh, gosh. Uh, I've always loved the Velvet Tango Room. And I like the Spot It All. Spot It All, Will, he's a great um, owner operator. And I just think his craft cocktails are just amazing. Cool. I have to get to Cleveland. I, you know, I, I, I flew around. through <laughs> on, on the way to, to the chef's garden, but I didn't really spend any time there. So I don't, I don't know your city very well. There's, you know, the one thing about Cleveland, which is great, is that a lot of new places are opening up. It makes it hard to find a lot of workers or people that want to work in the raw field. But it's wonderful because chains don't last here. If you're not an independent restaurant, your chances of survival are very low compared to other cities. Okay. Well, <laughs> which is interesting to me. I mean, it's it's interesting that we support so many independent like places, mm-hmm. um, and it makes me happy to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, and there's, I mean, I mean, you're seeing it, or I'm seeing it with with vegan uh, vegan food and raw foods. It's becoming more popular. I mean, I've been working with a a British restaurant, in New York Joneswood Foundry, that just introduced an all new vegan menu because he saw the the need the customers were asking for it so rather than be like spur the moment creating vegan dishes he he created a whole menu well I, i think a lot of people are starting to realize just the harms it is to the environment or how hard it is like for me as a chef it is just really hard to find great product anymore that hasn't been genetically modified or that isn't you know 
somehow ruining the integrity of the product. So I think a lot of times it's just it's a thing out of survival. Like it is just an easier way to find excellent product to work with. Yeah. Well, it's becoming a bigger thing, and you were on it a while ago, so very cool. Well, I think, yeah, I will say that everybody always, like, when I start cooking for a client, they're like, should I be vegan? I think my job as a chef is to provide you the best product available, and if I can't do something, I have other chefs that I refer people to, but it's not for everything. I think the more vegetables, of course, the more we see these things, it's better for your health, it's better for the environment. I mean, eat your veggies, of course, and be healthy, but... I think it doesn't have to be a cult. You don't have to totally swear off things. Listen to your body, see how it reacts. Some people react really well with certain foods or dairy or gluten. Other people don't. I don't think every human being is the same, and we can't have a blanket for everyone. Yeah, well said. And on that note, let's take another break here, and then we're going to come back. I'm going to play my speed round game with Anna. And then on the phone, I'm also I'm going to get Jeff Gordonier, and we're going to talk about Esquire's best new restaurants list, which just came out today. So hold 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 yourself there, and uh, we're going to come right back. All in the Industry Fantastic. on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anna Horovitz, and we are about to play my speed round game. So, Anna, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you just pick your preference. It's like an either-or situation. Perfect. All right. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? In. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Uh, cocktail. <laughs> tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, tasting menu. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. You're fast. How about uh, baseball, <laughs> baseball or basketball? Oh, come on now. <laughs> well, I didn't pick uh, a team. <laughs> uh, I would say, uh, uh, well, I would say baseball. Okay. How about bunny rabbits or dogs? Bunny rabbits. Because <laughs> you, know, you know I have a rabbit. I know I love and you that do about too. You. It's a special person that has yeah. a rabbit. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I love, that's another, some of your posts I love seeing. Okay, <laughs> so uh, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Uh, I, you know what? I'm, I'm a sucker for cheese. If it's a good cheese plate, that is my dessert. Okay. And last one, Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Cleveland? Oh, now you're going to get me in trouble. I'm I, uh, not trying not to I get love- you in trouble, but... <laughs> 
I, I haven't been to the boroughs enough. I love Cleveland, but uh, I, I, there's something about Manhattan. I just am, it's forever in my heart. All right. Well, that's that's fair with me, fine with me. So, well, you're, You'll yeah. show me the boroughs. You'll, sh- you're going to show me all around. And that. you're going to show me Cleveland. I have to plan my trip. Perfect. <laughs> yes. All right, cool. So, so Anna, hold, hold with us. Um, I'm going to uh, talk with Jeff Gordon-Air now uh, from Esquire magazine. And uh, I'm excited because their best new restaurants in America 2017 list came out today. And Jeff is the food and drinks editor at Esquire. So, hello, Jeff. Are you there? I am. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on my show. Uh, this is this is exciting. I, the list came yeah. out today. 18 worthy spots. So yeah. Uh, Let's let, let's let's before we get uh, into may, maybe specifics on the list, which which I think is awesome. Why don't we start a little with your background? Like, when did you join Esquire and and become a part of the the this team? I joined Esquire around the summer of last year of 2016. Um, I was at the New York Times for about six years, writing for the food section before that, covering the restaurant world. Um, as you probably know, my predecessor at Esquire, uh, Josh Ozerski, passed away in May of 2015. So there was a lapse. There was a time when the magazine essentially didn't have, uh, you know, a, a full-time food and drinks writer. Um, and in fact, that's one of the reasons why the list that we have today actually covers two years because there was sort of a, a gap, um, a period during which. Uh, they didn't even do a best new restaurants list, so this is it's the return of the list after a, a couple of years. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I still I still get so sad thinking about Josh, but yeah, um, he did he did an incredible job on this uh, with the magazine and 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 calling out restaurants around the country and and yeah, he know. had a lot of passion. You know, I mean, I wasn't very close with Josh, but I, I admired him so much as a writer and as a thinker and um, as someone who just deeply loved restaurants and loved the experience of restaurants. And I hope our list, you know, pays homage to him a little bit in that way. I mean, I think there's a sense of appetite in it (laughs) that maybe he would have appreciated. So, Yeah, absolutely. So how do you go about doing your research and and what are the criteria for for finding these these best restaurants around the country? Yeah, well, first of all, it's impossible. I mean, they don't (laughs) really tell you that. (laughs) <laughs> when you start, um, but it's impossible because there's like no way you can actually go to every single city in America, and and there's no way any physical body can eat every single meal at every single new restaurant from the last two years. So what you do is a lot of research. Um, I mean, I just did a ton of reading and magazines and blogs and a lot of touching base with friends in different communities. Um, and then you sort of make your selections and you create an itinerary. So I just tried to hit as many cities as I could within our budget and within the time frame and leaving enough time for me to see the loved ones in my life, like my children. Um, and, you know, you, certain places sort of rise to the top and um, seem to be incredibly strong contenders. So you make a point of hitting those. And then there's other places that just really intrigued me from the standpoint of narrative, um, you know, or the standpoint of uh, a mission. I mean, a good example is June Baby in Seattle, 
which I love as a restaurant. I just love the meal itself, but I also love what what it's about because um, the chef Eduardo Jordan is doing the food of the African diaspora there, and 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 it's just it's just a much deeper experience than just having a meal. So, um, you know, it was important for me to make those choices when I hit a, C- a city like Seattle to make sure I got to June Baby, you know. Um, but then another thing that happens along the way is, you know, you start to think about what do I like in a restaurant. I mean, it kind of forces you. I used to write about music and I used to write about movies, and you'd sort of be forced to come up with a system of aesthetics based on that. You'd, you'd sort of learn what you liked in a song or what you liked in a film. And I started to realize what I like in a restaurant. <laughs> and, what, <laughs> you know? and, what's, and what's that? <laughs> I like energy. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, and, it, and it could be a quiet kind of energy or it could be a boisterous energy, but I like there to be a real current of electricity in the room. A real fe- it's not just about the food. I mean, we all know that, but I realize how responsive I am to that sense of a show and that sense of mission and happening. Um, and I also realized I really hate tasting menus. Yeah. I mean, I have had a lot of great tasting menus around the world. I've been privileged in that respect. I'm working on a book about Rene Redzepi, and I've eaten at Noma, and I think it's transcendent. But I kind of came to the conclusion that tasting menus are a little like double or triple albums that bands used to put out, like in the hands of Prince or The Clash or The Rolling Stones. Sure, I'll listen to that much music, but... In the hands of just like an average band, you know that would be too much. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I, I, I I found myself at some of these tasting menus, and they were really they were terrific. I mean, they were. I don't want to name names because I don't want to make people feel bad, but I was really enjoying the experience and admiring the food. But it wasn't a sense of uh, pleasure or delirium or love. It wasn't like I was in you know. And, and after a certain while, you feel trapped. You just like get me out of here, you know, and it can come sometimes be like four or five hours, and the the servers keep interrupting you with you know these lectures about the carrots and stuff. And I mean, in comparison to places like Felix Trattoria in Venice, California, which is my number one, or the Grill and the Pool in in New York, which are my number two, or Chumley's. Uh, in in New York or um, Coquine in Portland, Oregon. I mean, these I just felt like at home at these places. You know, yeah. I felt warm. I felt happy. It was like I got to have conversation with friends, and it was just really satisfying in a different way. So great food was a huge part of it, but it wasn't just that. No, I and hear I, I, you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You can keep going. I was going to say, I saw, like, there are places, you, I think you wrote this in your intro online, of places you want to go to, you want to go back to. And I, yes. Yeah, and I get this with the ambiance and the feel and the energy. You certainly, you know, it's a part of it. It's not just about the food and the plate. And I find tasting menus, I feel like there's a time and place for them. But yeah. it can be a lot of food, uh, you know. Well, you rarely go back to them. I mean, you, you just nailed it. It's like, to me, it's all about what do I go back to. Like a restaurant that I go back to the most in New York City is Via Carota. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, and I know why. It's, it's you, know you want to go back. And you know how many food writers <laughs> yeah. and editors I talk mm-hmm. to say the same thing? Yeah. I mean, I've probably eaten there 40 times, okay? Right. And I love Jody Williams. <laughs> I love Rita Sodi. I love what they do. That restaurant, as far as I know, did not appear on any of these lists when it opened. And yet all the food writers are hanging out there, you know? Yeah. And so I sort of, I, I forced myself to think about that and to think about, well, why don't I include the restaurants that I actually want to go back to, you know? Yeah. And that, like, I have friends all the time. I grew up in Los Angeles. I have friends from California 
coming to New York all the time, and they'll say, where, do I, where should I eat? And I have a list, you know, I, you probably do too, a cut-and-paste list. I say, well, prune and, you know, Momofuku noodle bar and Via Carota and Emilio's Bellato. Like, I, you know, I hit them with the list, and I thought, well, in New York, you know, Atla on Lafayette Street is like that kind of restaurant. I mean, I, if I walk by there, I'll go in for breakfast, lunch, dinner, mezcal, mm-hmm. and... Does that mean it's a, you know, is it a lesser restaurant because it's kind of casual? No, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. So I feel kind of, that's what I came down to. Like, I felt confident that all the places on the list had that quality. Like, if I wasn't longing to go back to it and I wasn't sending my friends there, then something was amiss. Yeah, well, I I have a L.A. trip coming up, and I recently oh. had heard about Felix, and I put it. I actually have a reservation. I had oh. I had booked, and then it was on. It's the number one in your list. I'm like, okay, I should well keep played. that reservation. Well <laughs> you know, Felix is a good example because I was there with um, family members, and it was just a range of different preferences at the table, shall we say, in terms of what they would like and everything, but. Everyone at the table, it was like this kind of euphoria took hold. Like, at a certain point, my daughter, Margot, who's 15 and loves bread, we call her the bread bandit, and she loves pasta. You know, she just, she was mm-hmm. sitting right next to me. And she said, Dad, you know, how can this not be number one on your list when it's this good? You know, and I was like, you know, Margo, you have a point. <laughs> it's like, we're having, yeah. we're enjoying this so right. much. Course after course after course, and incredible cocktails, incredible wine. I mean, there it is. You know, I was sort of like it's staring me in the face. Yeah, and so. you also have a strong showing of female chefs on this list. Um, I, I, we do, and I mean, I, I made a point of that, but in a sense, I didn't have to try. It's just that a lot of female chefs and restaurateurs are doing incredible work right now. And, they, and, and and I can't quite explain why it is, but to me, they seem to run a lot of the restaurants that I find myself wanting to go back to again and again. I mean, Liz Pruitt essentially mm-hmm. runs Tartine Manufactory in San Francisco. And if I lived in that neighborhood, I mean, I would probably eat there every day. Yeah. You know, and it's the quality of the food, but it's also the vibe and the, the sense of, like, quality that inf- infuses all the ingredients and the feeling of the place. Right, Katie yeah. Millard at, at Coquine in Portland, Elena Regan at uh, Kitsune in Chicago. We have Daniela Soto Innes at Atla. We have Victoria Blamey at Chumley's. I've solo um, dined there. Yeah, many more. It was yeah, it's fantastic. Good. I mean, like, Chumley's yeah. is a good example because that's a lot of people think it's just a bar or they think it's just kind of a literary hangout that was resurrected. Those two things are true. But what I want, I wanted to include Chumley's in part because. Victoria is the chef, you know, she worked at Atera, you know, she worked at Corton mm-hmm. with Paul Liebrand. I mean, she's worked at the very highest levels of American gastronomy, and she's in the kitchen at Chumley's, and she's making the best burger you're going to have in the city, but she's also making incredible rabbit dish and, and crudo and this wild ice cream sandwich dessert. I'm not even a dessert guy, but this blew my mind. I mean, this is very high-level cooking. Right. And I just I wanted to call attention to that because, I mean, I, I feel I, I think Pete Wells agrees me, with me on this, that this is actually a very special restaurant. Um, yeah. yeah. No, th- I mean, your list, there's a bunch I've been to and there's a bunch I haven't. I just know and like, you know, want to book some some flights. But um, also 
just you also pick there's there's different different aspects of 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 this section. You have the chef of the year. Uh, yeah. Ignacio Matos on there, which uh, Flora Bar, I, I and and all of his places, Estella. I mean, they're they're places you want to go back to, and he's doing um, he's doing great things. Yeah, the thing with you nailed that. I mean, to me, if I'm if I'm talking about restaurants you want to go back to, well, Ignacio has three of them. You know, because I would go back to Estella Cafe Altro Paradiso or Flora Bar any day of the week. And he, I call him the wizard of Crave in the package. He just seems to be able to create these dishes that you find yourself, like, longing for days or weeks later, you know. And what's interesting, though, is he's not pretentious. I mean, the dishes are very artful, but he doesn't do a tasting menu. Um, it's, you know, it's somehow not pretentious, but kind of beautiful at the same time. And it's just... At this, I also feel like, you know, there are certain chefs who kind of have a very specific voice, almost like a singer would or a, a painter would have a very, just a style that you instantly recognize. You know, you see a Warhol or you see a Picasso, whatever, you know that that's who did it. And, and I think Ignacio Matos has that. There's just something so distinct about his cooking that I feel like I could probably pick it out from a bunch of different plates if I were blindfolded. You know, I could probably say, no, that's, a, that's one of Ignacio's dishes. Well, on, on your website, you have uh, uh, some videos, and I, I watched the one you had uh, with him, and he showcases the endive dish, which I've had oh, yeah. at the restaurant. And, like, endive is not something I typically get very excited about. But, I, <laughs> like, that dish is amazing. Like, I want that yeah. dish again. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't like, it's funny? a beautiful... I don't think I wanted yeah. to order it the first yeah, time. Yeah, me either. But I want it, yeah. It's, yeah. He, it, it, I mean, that's his skill. I mean, that, uh, yeah, we have a rising star chef named Miles Thompson, who I believe is still 29 years old. He's nearing 30. And, um, you know, he's taken over the kitchen at Michael's, which is obviously a landmark of California cuisine in Santa Monica, California. And I mean that, that's similar. I mean, it's similar to the on dive. I mean, I was really reluctant. I just sort of like, you know, I always liked Michael's. I grew up in L.A. It's it's a beautiful place. It's a, it's, you know, it's it's. I honor the history and mm-hmm. Nancy Silverton went through there. Jonathan Waxman, etc. But I, I, I maybe wasn't. I maybe was a little skeptical that the that there was a new energy flowing through it. And I was wrong to be skeptical. It was incredibly exciting. I mean, it's it just this guy is. The future of well, cooking. Well, that's another one to add to my list. So, yeah. um, well, we're 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 out of time, but um, thank you so much for calling in. And and I mean, your whole I've just I've just impressed with you, with you and your whole career. And this list is oh, is awesome. And no, it, it really you and and everything you do. And and yeah, I'm, I highly suggest for people to go pick up a, a magazine and check check this out and follow. Follow Jeff's advice. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, Sherry. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's been fun. I wish we had more time, but um, to be continued. Right. So, okay, cool. See you around. Thank you. Thank you so much. So bye. again, yeah, bye. Um, people can go to Esquire.com uh, for the website, and then yeah, it's on the stands too. So uh, one more break. We're gonna come back and do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for Masilla Dining Experience. This week, it's at Hemlock. Here's the rundown. The location, 65 Rivington Street, Lower East Side, New York City. The concept, a seasonal farm-driven restaurant with the goal of focusing on the inherent de- deliciousness of each vegetable, serving an all-natural wine list as well. The chef, Diego Moya. Why did I go? Because I had read great things about this place from early press. My experience. So I had popped in for an early dinner on a Sunday evening, and I took a a seat at the chef's counter. My server, who was kind of bopping behind behind the counter and coming out front, but at the time he was behind the counter, he took my order. Uh, He was very helpful and very kind. And I recognized Chef Moya, who was cooking right in front of me. So I introduced myself because we are industry friends. We are Facebook friends. Uh, and and he, he, he knew who I was. And we ended up chatting throughout my meal. And uh, it, was a really, it was a really nice time. So what did I get? I had a couple of the smaller plates. I had patty pan squash with pumpkin seeds and amaranth. I had fluke with pickled plums and basil. Uh, They sent me out a little sample of sweet potato bread, which I think had rhubarb and ricotta on it. It was delicious. And also for dessert, they sent me out blue cloth-bound cheddar and dates, which sounds weird, I guess, but it was a great combo. So that is my take. Everything was delicious, beautifully presented, and and all the dishes felt light and kind of healthy-ish, except for that that cheese, which was was really fantastic. If you're a cheese fan, uh, you should go go have this. It was it was really, really good. So the ambiance. It's a small, intimate dining room with light woods as the decor, and it has a very large chef's counter, which is most of the seating, and there are also a couple tables. Perfect for solo dining or a dinner date. Interesting tidbit. Chef Moya has spent time cooking in Peru and Chile and in New York City, most notably at the popular Casa Mono. Personal fun fact, when I was talking with Chef Moya, I asked him if he had PR. He said he didn't at the time. I'm not sure if he needs it, but hey, Chef, call me if you're interested. The cost, $27. That's not including tax and gratuity and the couple dishes they sent out to me. Would I go back? Yes. The website is hemlocknyc.com. Okay, so it's time for the final question. Let's see. Anna, are you still out there? Are you on the line with me? Absolutely. I would never give up. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know that was a long break, but we're back and it's time for the final question. So my next guest is John Karangas. He is the executive chef of Union Square Hospitality Events. So Anna, what would you like to ask John? Well, I'm always curious to know, and I know every chef will say there's no other job for them to ever have, but he has a very elite clientele, too. I'm just wondering, if it wasn't a chef, what would be his profession of choice? What would he be doing? It's a good question. I like that one, you know. Oh, I'm always <laughs> curious. Yeah, me too. I will find out. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Well, I would be a groupie. I would be a groupie. Is that what <laughs> you would be? That, is, that's probably what I would do is travel around. <laughs> a groupie. Okay. None as long as if you can make money doing that, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm, I'm really in awe of everything you do, and I wish you much Aww, continued success. That means a lot. 
Thank you. And it was an honor. Thank you so much for thinking of me. And as I said, it's, I, I follow your career and I'm so in awe of you. And uh, I, I just can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thank you. And let me know next time you're in New York City so, so we can hang out. <laughs> I will. And when you come to Cleveland, I'll take you to one of the games. You pick a Cavs game or something and we'll, I'll show you the whole experience. Man, I'm so down for that. So thank you. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. My guest today has been Anna Horovitz. She's the owner of Good To Go Cafe and Anna in the Raw. You can find her at AnnaInTheRaw.com and on social media, the same handle, Anna in the Raw. My other guest today was Jeff Gordonaire, food and drinks editor at Esquire magazine. Their best new list just came out today, and you can find out more about him and check it out at Esquire.com and on social media at Esquire, at ESQ Food, and at Jeff Gordonaire. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. You can always find our shows archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on iTunes and Stitcher. Many thanks again to Anna and to Jeff and to my show's engineer today, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.